Hey, welcome to In The Shift, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. My name is Michael Frost, and welcome into the latest episode of the podcast. And I must say, I I bumped into someone the other day. We're actually in lockdown in Auckland at the moment. If you're not in Auckland, bless you if you're living your best lives. Um, But most of New Zealand actually is in some form of lockdown right now. Uh, but just before lockdown, I bumped into someone who uh, who listens to the podcast and they mentioned that I had taken to beginning each episode with an apology for taking so long to put out the next one. And that, uh, to be honest, made me laugh, actually, because it pretty much sounds like the same thing I used to pray uh, when I was a younger man, every time that I was sorry that I hadn't been praying enough lately and I'd always be, st- begin my prayers with, uh, you know, dear God, I'm sorry that I haven't done this for a while. And, uh, and, you know, and now it seems like I probably start most of my emails that way. Dear so-and-so, sorry for the delayed reply. Uh, <laughs> most of my text messages are beginning that way now too. And so here I am uh, in a podcast episode. I'm not going to apologize today. We're just going to get into it. So I'm going to skip the apologies uh, and we'll get into th- the content. But before we do, a reminder that you can, of course, get in touch with me by visiting the website in the shift.com. You can email me, michael at in the shift.com. You can go to the various social media situations and find us there. Uh, send me a story, a question, a thought, a reflection, I don't know, a complaint, whatever it is you'd like. I'd love to hear from you. And I always do loving, love hearing from people who listen to the podcast, who uh, read the blog as well, and, and so on. Um, right. So today's episode. And really, this episode, along with the next uh, few that are come that are going to come, are coming on the back of a period of reflection that I've been through about the past couple of years since I started the podcast. I've spent this past period of time thinking through all of the things that we've covered and we've talked about, and the guests that I've spoken with, and then the people who have got in touch with me and shared their stories. Maybe they've emailed. Maybe they've uh, you know various ways in which they've communicated back with me. The conversations that I've had in person with a whole lot of people, and I've been looking at the themes. I suppose that I can see emerging out of all of this. One of the things I actually did in my in my PhD study was a number of interviews and then went into something called a thematic analysis. And so I've kind of been doing, perhaps in a less formal way, the same kind of thing with, with all of the conversations that I've been having over the last two or three years, and perhaps further as well in my own journey and experience. So in the coming episodes, I'm going to be talking in particular about the various challenges and possibilities that I see identified in the Christian faith, the Christian tradition, in these different conversations. Uh, Because the same kind of challenges do come up in different ways. And also, I think there are still some potentials, some some possibilities within the Christian faith and the Christian tradition for those who want them. And um, so I'm going to talk about that. Some of the things that I think are deeply problematic about Christianity, about the Christian faith, and certainly in some of the ways in which it's been formed. And then some of the reasons that, that I think there are still things that, that might be helpful. Um, in this episode in particular, though, I want to first start by reflecting back on the variety of people's experiences, including my own, uh, but also many others, and talk about uh, the many paths of deconstruction. And, and I'm aware that when we use the term deconstruction, that brings to different things to different minds for people. If you're trained in, I don't know, postmodern philosophy, then you immediately start to think of Jacques Derrida and, and deconstruction in terms of a, a quite technical sense about hermeneutic and text analysis and meaning making and so on. I'm not using deconstruction in that sense. I'm using it really in the way that it's come to be used at a more popularized level in the Christian and the post-Christian or the ex-evangelical community. Uh, and so this word deconstruction has sort of loose connections back to its uh, to its origins in postmodern philosophy, but really has become a word that means something 
other than that for many people. And so what we're talking about here is is those who have, for all sorts of reasons really, entered on this journey of pulling apart some of the previous held, previously held beliefs, experiences, ideas, um, stories of faith. You know, it's, it's a bit like we've had a house that's been built and then we're going through this process of suddenly realizing that there are some problems with this house that we didn't see, uh, and now we're st- or we or we saw, but we didn't want to see, and so we buried them. And now we're going through this process of kind of pulling the house apart. And it must be said that even if uh, many of us are in the process of pulling apart that house, uh, there are a lot of differences in that journey for us too. The house could have begun in quite a different place. From you and I, so even though we're both pulling pulling our house apart, our houses were quite different to begin with. And then, the how much of that house we're willing to pull apart will differ between us. The the kinds of bits of it that are really troubling for us will differ between us. Some people need to pull the entire house down, and other people, uh, you know, get get very worried and concerned when they see people pulling the whole house down. So without pushing the metaphor too far, uh, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about with in this idea of deconstruction. And I want to talk about this and the different paths that we take or that we find ourselves on so that ultimately we can actually better understand ourselves and also understand others and where we're at on the journey. So that's what we're going to do here. This is episode 48 of In The Shift. Let's get into it. Okay, so let's start by talking about the challenges of the deconstruction journey itself. And this is is a genuinely difficult process for many people. You know, sometimes those who are uh, still held within, let's say, like an evangelical framework or a Pentecostal framework, and they look at those who have gone through this deconstruction, often they will say things like, oh, well, you're just trying to go with the flow and you're just trying to fit in and you're just sort of compromising to go with culture or whatever it might be. And there really is a lack of understanding in those perspectives of just how uh, difficult the process of deconstruction is for just about all of us who have been through that journey or who are still on it. Um, you know, it's, it is not easy to pull apart the house. It is not easy to take apart those things that have been so deeply meaningful for you for so much of your life. And, um, you know, it can. there are all sorts of different reasons why the process begins, why the process is triggered. And sometimes it's just getting exposed to new ideas. You know, maybe you go off to university or you make friends with someone who sees the world very differently to you or you start listening to a podcast or whatever it might be. Um, or maybe you go off to Bible college, which is kind of what happened to me. And that was the trigger, the beginning of the trigger for, for my own deconstruction, along with some experiences I was having within church community that I was struggling to make sense of and... And so it's it's sometimes the combination of these things. It can be, yeah, it can be abuse and trauma and crisis within the church, burnout, um, being taken advantage of, coercion, manipulation. Those things can trigger a series of questions that then take us on this unraveling kind of journey. Sometimes it's crisis and tragedy in our own lives and we find that the faith constructs we have are just not satisfactory to help us deal with or navigate the reality of what we're experiencing. Maybe the little cliched answers that we had heard just don't work when faced with the crisis that is before us. And so we find that what we thought was a substantive and meaningful and rich faith that would help support us was actually something that was a bit vacuous and empty or didn't have the kinds of answers that we needed. Um, sometimes it's, you know, it's a realization. Sometimes it's just a looking around and a realization that the way people are being treated within these 
faith systems. Maybe it's big theological questions that emerge for all sorts of reasons, right? So there, there are loads of things, and sometimes it's the combination of these things that trigger a, a kind of deconstruction process. Sometimes that's very rapid. Sometimes it's very slow moving. Sometimes it's boiling away under the surface, and then it finds some legs, and you find some people to talk to. For others, maybe it all comes in a rush when some kind of crisis or event takes place. But for just about everybody that I've talked to, um, I can't think of anyone that I've talked to who's been through this process of deconstruction that was doing it to be cool, to fit in, to go with the flow, or because it was the easy path. They've all found it difficult, painful, and a struggle. right? And I think that's a really, really good thing to begin with. Uh, and really what we see among those who want to characterize it as something kind of as the easy way out, so to speak, what it tells us is those people haven't really spent the time talking with those who've had those experiences. So it's really a, it's a way of defending your position without having to really develop empathy. Um, and, you know, some of the reasons why this is so difficult, and we've touched on this, as, as I say, I'm going to be drawing on some of the themes from the last two or three years of the podcast. Some of the reasons why this is so challenging is is to do with belonging. It's to do with that sense of my faith as I understood it was a big part of what provided me with a context of belonging, a context of people who loved me and who valued me and who valued my contribution. I had uh, a place in the world among a people uh, and, um, and I mattered in that context. And then we find, oh, I'm starting to question some of these things or pull apart some of these things. And that belonging is perhaps much more fragile than I thought. That belonging is more reliant on me towing the line belief-wise than I thought. Or, you know, those are the kinds of things. Or or maybe it even hits home with family and people find that, oh, I don't belong in my family in the way that I uh, thought. And along with that uh, sense of destabilizing of belonging is is also the the loss of certainty that can be a real crisis for us. It can be a real struggle, you know, especially if our faith framework provided us with a very – secure uh, and defined way of understanding the world and reality and it helped us to make sense, right? So this is, certainty kind of goes along with meaning making. That's, that's slightly different from one another, but they go together. In a sense of certainty, we get stability. We get a sense of I understand why things happen the way that they do. I understand what I'm about, what I'm here for. I understand who God is and what God did and what God's up to and my part in it, even if I have to figure out some of the details along the way. That gives me a sense of real assurance. And so we hit, you know, I don't know, various global crises or or pandemics or whatever it is we might be facing. And that certainty is really, um, feels really helpful to us in terms of shoring up a sense of foundation. At least we can trust something. You know, God is in control, for example, or, you know, God knows the plans that he has for me, says the Lord. <laughs> uh, the old Jeremiah twenty nine eleven classic, you know, that kind of certainty can really help. Uh, unfortunately, the certainty itself is a bit of a mirage. And so when we find the questions come along, then that certainty starts to crumble. But that's a very difficult process because that certainty was functioning for us. That certainty provided something for us that we that we at least in some sense felt like we benefited from. So, um, so that's really hard. And along with that, as I said, is this idea of meaning. It is faith in many respects. One of the big things that faith does for us is give us a sense of meaning. It tells us about why, why our lives matter and, and what we're here for and how to make meaning of the world and of our experiences and our relationships. And, and when you start to pull at the thread of the questions, then especially if you've been immersed within faith communities for quite some time, maybe you grew up in the church or you've been in the church and around the church f- for quite some time, 
that that sense of meaning making that comes from the faith story is really, really um, vital and profoundly life impacting. <laughs> it makes helps me to make sense of why I do the things that I do, of why I relate to people the way that I do. And so when we lose confidence in the beliefs that we've had, when the, the house starts to come down, we find, oh man, I don't even know anything anymore. I don't know what matters anymore. I don't know why my life means anything anymore. And, and those questions might quite, sound quite um, strange to those maybe who have no religious experience. You're like, what do you mean you don't, you don't know why your life, what, what your life means anymore? Um, p- plenty of people outside of faith communities feel a sense of meaning in their lives. But when your faith story has been the thing that's provided that sense of meaning and given shape to it, then, then it's a very discombobulating feeling, right, when you lose that sense of meaning. So all of this is really difficult. And it's part of why I call the podcast In The Shift, uh, which, you know, I'm sure by episode 48, you've you've twigged on to the fact that really it is, uh, if I'm honest, the, the way I came up with the name for the podcast is I was trying to come up with a name that indicated some kind of movement, some kind of change, but I was also, <laughs> I was also searching for phrases that had the word shit in them. Uh, and so uh, In The Shift, uh, really came about from that search because I re- one of the things I was recognizing was that even in this process of unraveling and of deconstruction, you often feel like you're ending up in the shit, right? You're ending up with in trouble perhaps with others or feeling like you're in trouble with others. Even if you're a grown person, a real grown up adult, you can still feel like you're sort of in trouble and that all of the things that helped to give you a sense of structure to your life, meaning, certainty, belonging, these things are disintegrating or at least dissolving or or somehow not as robust as they used to be. And that's a really difficult experience to feel like, to feel. Um, now, for some who start to feel those questions, start to ask those things, start to probe a little bit, uh, sometimes what can happen is you push that back down again because it actually feels too scary to lose those things. And so we come near... Um, the unraveling, we come near the deconstruction and we say, oh, you know what, actually, I can't deal with that. I can't deal with the loss of meaning, with the loss of certainty, with the loss of belonging. And I actually really understand that. I did that for a number of years myself. And when those questions came near to the surface, I buried them back down again because of what I knew those questions would mean. Um, but what happens for many of us is we get to a point where we actually can't push those questions or those ideas or those thoughts down anymore. So that's, that's some of the reasons why this journey can be really you know, difficult. And what I've noticed is that it's not only then hard because of what we lose, uh, certainty, meaning, belonging, it can often be hard as we actually then try to navigate forward because um, as we kind of, th- there is a sense of exhilaration sometimes that comes in the deconstruction journey as we're like, oh my gosh, I'm allowed to question, I'm allowed to explore. And then we look around for th- for people that uh, resonate with us on our journey and um, and we see them on their journey and we're like, oh, we're the same. This is amazing. Let's talk and let's have conversations and we talk about our difficult experiences of the past and we find people with whom we can open up to about the trauma that we've experienced or the, or the difficult things that we've seen or the things we're now coming to question and to query and to doubt. Uh, and that's a really, um, you know, when we find some of us don't experience that very quickly, and so we feel isolated for a long period of time. Uh, but then you find those people, and then what you find sometimes is that those people all start going in different directions <laughs> from each other. And so although initially you find this great sense of camaraderie and being able to talk with others about you know, what we aren't anymore or what we want to move away from, 
and that feels like kind of a new community to replace the old one, then we find ourselves drifting apart as we go in different directions from each other. And you might not be up to this point in the journey yet, and maybe you, you'll never get, maybe that'll never be your experience. But I know it is some people's experience. Um, and so, you know, you find yourself all, uh, or you find yourself connected to, to people who are resonant with your experience of no longer wanting to be that thing that we were. And you feel like that means you're about the same kinds of things, but then as you move forward, you realize, oh, my journey is actually taking shape quite differently to theirs. And then we can lose that sense of camaraderie that we had, and that can be, in its own way, a difficult experience. Um, we also find layering into that that sometimes our deconstruction, our particular journey, takes us in a direction that others might think then is too far or isn't the way that we should go or you should have reconstructed by now, you should have put things back together by now or that sounds a bit dangerous or, or whatever it might be. So these are the kinds of things that emerge in, in the story and in the conversation. So I want to step back a bit having thought about and reflected on this, as I say, in recent times and talk about four different types or paths of, of deconstruction or of the deconstructor and I'm doing this in a very generalized thematic way. So the intention here is not to draw tight lines around these four types. And there's a lot of fluidity between them. And some of us will find parts of ourselves within the different types I mentioned, perhaps even all of them. But I hope they're still helpful as an overall way of thinking about what's going on. And I should note, I do this from my perspective and from my context. I am a straight, white, cis man. And that does shape my perspective on the conversation. And so these types could look really different for someone looking from a different perspective, from a different context. So it's not the only way to see this. It's just something I'm finding useful. I want to share and hopefully you might find it useful too. So I've called these four types th that I'm exploring here, the liturgical, the mystical, the political, and the agnostic. And so these are the kind of four directions that I'm seeing deconstruction head in. As I say, they do overlap at times. There are blurry lines between them and sometimes quite significant crossover. Uh, okay, so let's begin with the liturgical. And and by the liturgical, uh, I don't just mean people who like liturgy, but but really what I'm talking about here is people who uh, have become dissatisfied with the theological depth uh, and maybe the coherence of their faith. So they've been in a Christian um, commu faith community, maybe evangelical or Pentecostal or something like that. And over time, for all sorts of reasons, like we've mentioned already, Perhaps they become dissatisfied with the kind of depth that they see within their experience of faith. Uh, when they try to pick away at the surface of questions or of doubts or beliefs, they're not satisfied with what they find there in terms of any kind of robust theology or belief system that sits under the surface. They Maybe they see their faith has been, you know, a series of cliches or of inspirational messages, but without a lot of substance beneath them. And, you know, this is probably, to be honest, where I started. I probably started in this kind of place. Um, where I was like, oh, hang on, this is this whole this faith experience that I have, this church experience that I have, is not robust as robust as I need it to be, as I want it to be. There's not the depth there that I thought was there, and that's starting to trouble me. And so, um, what we find within what I'm calling the liturgical deconstruction group here is there's still an interest in the white in, in the depth and breadth of Christian theology, uh, but it's wanting to open up the. The, maybe we've experienced a very narrow form of Christian faith. And so we're wanting to open that up somewhat, engage with the, with the larger tradition of Christian theology, uh, of belief, of thought, still often, usually, deeply connected to Jesus and to the Christian tradition. Maybe they become interested in the writings of the church fathers and realize that, oh, actually, if we wind the clock back before enlightenment and before modernity and before 
um, the Reformation and back into the Church Fathers, we do find a range of views, some of which I, I resonate with much more. Um, maybe maybe things don't have to be quite so narrow as I thought. Maybe Christ, the one form of Christianity I've experienced is not the only form of Christianity there is. So um, so that's the kind of person who who is interested in embracing uh, more of a connection with the tradition, which is why I'm calling it liturgical in a very loose sense of the term. More want to be more connected to the theological tradition. Some you'll find who have come out of evangelical or Pentecostal churches find themselves joining Anglican communities. I think in the US they're called Episcopal, right? Um, and so we see that uh, this kind of movement towards theological traditions within Christianity that are outside of the narrow stream we've experienced, but are much more connected to the history and the weight and the substance of theology uh, and, the, and of Christian tradition. Uh, some have even converted to Catholicism because that's what they were looking for. Um, others, and I'm not so interested in this group here, but some have have essentially tried to do this and dig down and find something robust and instead have have doubled down in that place on a much more conservative view. So instead of going into a deconstruction, uh, really it's, it's um, I want to find a more certain form of what I had. I want to I find a more concrete thing. And so uh, in the US in particular, you see this thing called the Young, Restless and Reformed movement with these people kind of moving into a into Calvinism, which again, without getting into all the details here, is a very concrete way of understanding God and the world, which I find highly dubious and problematic. But I can see why it's attractive to people who are struggling with the uncertainty. Um, but more, more to interest here are those people who um, are, are wanting a more thoughtful, robust and deep faith they're wanting something that has more for them than inspirational quotes and motivational speeches um, and smiles and high fives and and even perhaps the, the drivenness of their church experience. Uh, and so they find in these broader streams of Christian tradition uh, more room to breathe and to explore. Often still fairly orthodox, right? Maybe not to the conservative evangelicals or to the Calvinists who say, no, you've got to agree with us on everything, otherwise you're a dirty liberal. Um, but still fairly orthodox. They might differ on views on something like hell or on atonement theology, you know, like the meaning of the cross and why Jesus died. They might even have more affirming views on something like LGBT inclusion, something like that. But they'll usually be fairly orthodox in relation to Christian beliefs like the Trinity, like Jesus being divine and human, still see scripture as inspired by God, even if they've developed a more thoughtful way or robust and reflective way of reading scripture and so on. So, um, I'm calling it liturgical, I guess, because it is the it is this group of people who are wanting to connect into the wider tradition uh, and find some depth and substance there. And, you know, often in that place, you find these kinds of thought leaders as well. And so I remember early on when this was probably descriptive of my journey, it was someone like an N.T. Wright or something like that, or Scott McKnight. I started reading these scholars that opened me up to a whole different way of seeing faith. Still orthodox in terms of kind of the church creeds and the church tradition, but much more open and exploratory and thoughtful than what I had previously experienced. I mean, maybe something like Brian Zand in more recent times. Are these kinds of people who are very connected to the tradition, even as they are willing to explore different views within that tradition. I think it's probably true, and I, I could be wrong here, I'm going to make a generalization, but generally speaking, I think this is probably the least traumatized group of the four that I'm going to describe. Um... And, and I say that because I think the more trauma or pain you experience within the church, the less easy it is to stay connected to uh, some of the real center points of that faith tradition. And so 
it's often the case, not always the case, but often the case, I think, anecdotally from my perspective, that those who would fit into what I'm calling the liturgical camp here are generally the least traumatized group. Now, again, as I say, these aren't all mutually exclusive groups or categories, and so there's overlap and interplay between these and fluidity. Um, but the second is that I want to talk about here is mystical. Uh, now, again, one can be both liturgical and mystical, and there are those who have considerable overlap between these two, but there are also those within what I'm calling the mystical type who are actually moving away from the more traditional streams and beliefs of Christianity, perhaps even away from what has been cast historically as orthodoxy. So uh, the kinds of things we see in the mystical type are things like an emphasis on experience over belief. And I don't just mean like I mean, I came from the Pentecostal tradition where experience was a particular kind of thing, right? It was uh, getting under the spout where the glory comes out uh, or getting the unction to function, which, look, if you if you don't know, you don't know. I'm sorry. But if you do, you do. Uh, you know, so that kind of Pentecostal experience is a very dramatic um, experience of the spirit that we were all very interested in. But in the mystical tradition, uh, it's, it's, it's probably, there's more emphasis on contemplative experience. There's more emphasis on a sort of a tuning in to experience of the self and of the divine, uh, less emphasis then on the rigidity of particular beliefs or whether we believe the right things all the time or not. So uh, an emphasis here on an openness to the world and to creation, uh, to, to God being present in and through all things, right, which we often call pan, panentheistic, this idea that the world is in God and God is in the world. And so there's much more openness to uh, to see God present in creation and 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 to try and tune in to that through contemplation, maybe through the pursuit of oneness or unity, uh, transcendence, some kind of unit of consciousness. These are the kind. Now, not everyone again attaches to all of those terms, but these are the kinds of things we see emerge in the mystical uh, type. Uh, often more willing to talk about God as the divine, right? But maybe because the language of God has been so ruined for them, distorted for them, or they're, they're aware that when they use the word God, all of this baggage comes with it. So they're, they're more willing to, to give different language to God, maybe to see God through metaphor. Sometimes you'll hear them talking about God as the ground of being. Um, again, not using that in the technical sense of the way Paul Tillich first talked about it, but the ground of being in terms of this the sense of God not being the sort of the, the old man in the sky, but instead God being the source and ground of all that is. Uh, so you do find within this type an encouragement toward meditation, towards contemplation, uh, sometimes to walk to, towards talk of the true self or the real self that is good and whole rather than depraved and sinful. Um, and, and you do find amongst many in this tradition a, a, a contentment with actually moving outside of the Christian tradition if necessary or at the very least, to listen to mystics from outside of Christianity. So sometimes those in, in the mystical type uh, are quite happy to listen to the mystics from, from those outside of the Christian tradition. And sometimes you'll find those within who have deconstructed into the mystical uh, trajectory have themselves moved outside of the Christian tradition to, to embrace a more broad mysticism generally. And so... Again, a lot of different versions of this, but the kinds of thought leaders you might find here, people like Richard Rohr, um, it's probably true that Rob Bell, someone like that has gone in this direction. Uh, you find some of those guys even referring to someone like an Eckhart Tolle um, or even a Ramdas or something like that, um, sometimes drawing on uh, one of the uh, saints, St. Francis of Assisi. Um, you see, I don't know if, you, if, you, if you've ever listened to the liturgist podcast and someone like a Mike Gungor has gone in this direction, this kind of mysticism. Uh now, again, I'm not categorizing any of these types as better than the other, and we'll get there at the end as to what I think we can, why I think this might be helpful to us 
It's just to get a sense of where are these different trajectories going. And again, a lot of overlap even between the liturgical and the mystical, but also some distinctions that I think are important. Okay, the third I want to talk about here is the political. And again, this type, as I'm going to keep repeating, includes aspects, can include aspects of either or both of the other two. But in this case, we see much more of an emphasis and a movement towards social justice, toward interpreting the Christian story as being about marginalization, as about oppression and overturning power structures that have been abusive and harmful. Um, sometimes this is done using and, and reinterpreting Christian faith in Jesus away from the versions that they've been given, especially if they've been given versions of like evangelical faith that are quite tightly aligned with right-wing political ideology, for example. Then this push back against that, maybe to, to reclaim Jesus from the right-wing conservatives and discover a, a different kind of Jesus here. Sometimes you'll find actually a, a real strong antagonism toward Christianity amongst the political deconstruction world uh, because... Um, Christianity is being seen as something that has caused oppression and suffering and marginalization. Uh, and so some of those are, are pushing back against Christianity entirely and find themselves outside of it. Now looking back at Christianity and Christianity is seen as one of the problems. Others see Christianity as historically having been one of the problems, but want to reframe Christianity to speak much more to social justice issues. So the kinds of things you see within here is a, ref, you know, a, a thinking about Jesus in terms of as a marginalized minority, a person of color, a refugee, one who was seeking to subvert the Roman Empire, bring about transformation of community and equality uh, and so on. Uh, you'll, you'll hear the, the term intersectionality, which is looking at the intersection of those identities and the way in which they... Um, help us to understand people's experience of oppression, harm, and suffering. Uh, as I said, there's often a reaction against the alignment of evangelicalism with conservative politics, particularly in North America, but I think that does flow into places like New Zealand as well. And then you often find within the political type a strong critique of whiteness, of patriarchy, of heteronormativity, of transphobia, of ableism, uh, of a number of these um, things that are seen as being oppressive realities, systemic realities, uh, that have created and continued to foster oppression, often connected to forms of Christianity, but also of the West more generally. Uh, so those who, who end up in this place of more of a political type uh, may or may not find themselves aligning with left-wing political causes, political parties, and so on, um, but generally there's a real desire and passion for social justice. And, you know, there's a bunch of people we could mention there in terms of thought leaders, but interestingly, looking at something like the Liturgist podcast, for example, uh, this is where someone like a Mike McCarg, it seems to me, has has embraced more of the, the the political in terms of a deconstruction type, whereas a Mike Gungor went in, in the more mystical direction. Uh, you have someone like a Will Gaffney who who writes from a you know um, African American womanist perspective, uh, writes about theology and scripture, but does so very much with intersectionality in mind, with um, categories of oppression and injustice and, and so on. Uh, and a whole host of others there. And, and what you do find in particular in this group are, is, a, is a much higher representation of people from those, um, from those you know, suffering, marginalized groups. Uh, and so there's you know, high representation uh, of LGBT people within this type. Um, again, overlap, of course, I'm going to keep emphasizing between all of these. Um, but it's just a helpful way, I think of coming to see what's going on. The last category of the four is one that I'm calling agnostic. And by this, I really mean those who have entered into a kind of deconstruction, but who don't see any need or at least any urgency or hurry for the process of a reconstruction. Maybe it's too triggering. Maybe it's too exhausting. Maybe it just feels unnecessary. Maybe, you know, 
maybe I'm just tired of even engaging with faith. Maybe, um, maybe I'm happy to live in the place of not knowing, especially if my past engagement with faith communities has been traumatic, abusive, triggering, controlling. Why would I even want to go back there into that conversation? Maybe my life is, it feels fine without it. Um, I just got enough to deal with in my life without having to try and rebuild a house and I don't even know if there's a point to it. You know, what's the point of all of these theological beliefs and debates and arguments and so on, right? And so that kind of agnostic uh, camp is, is much happier to sit with a place of I don't actually have a real view on what Christianity should look like or on what Christian faith should be or what, uh, or what I desire my faith to look like. I'm just kind of tired of the whole thing or just... I just don't know or I just can't deal with it or it's too much or I just don't believe it anymore, right? Uh, All of those things might find themselves in this camp. Uh, So maybe you resonate with one or or even some or even all of these categories. Um, I'd actually be really interested to know, so drop me a line. Uh, But the reason I'm talking about all of these is I I think sometimes the deconstruction journey can just be really messy and confusing. It can feel like a kind of living in a cloud or a fog of unknowing. You're looking for connections. You're looking for people that might understand. Sometimes non-religious people, you know, with no religious history, just have no idea of what you're talking about or what your experience has been like. They're like, what? Why were you even in that system? Just just leave it behind. Uh, and so you don't always find a home there with people who understand. And then often the religious people in our lives, the ones to whom we've been most connected, they don't get it either. You know, they see us as losing our way or potentially losing our salvation. So you go onto their prayer lists. Uh, you know, you're someone who's talked about in, in corridors with knowing looks and disappointed faces. And so then in that foggy place of looking for some kind of stability, you know, we often search for those who are also on the journey. Uh, and are so pleased when we can bump into someone who kind of gets what we're talking about, uh, who we don't have to explain everything from the beginning for them to immediately be able to say, yes, 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 I know how that feels. And that's a really um, beautiful thing to find and a necessary thing to find. And so, you know, online communities have emerged in the wake of all of this for people and podcasts like this, I guess, and, and many others, of course, have emerged also. But then I've also seen those online communities explode too. They've turned themselves into tense places where hostility and offense and abuse is continued. Um, and often there's this lack of knowing how to move forward on the other side of all of this that we've been through, especially when it's, it's hard to even say we're on the other side of it a lot of times because the threads are still wound through us and we don't even know if there's a landing point uh, that's going to feel anything like what we used to feel like. And so my hope here in thinking about these four types that I've been talking about here is that it might do a couple of things for us, uh, for you. One is, my hope is that it gives some language, perhaps for where you're at, to allow yourself as well to accept that. Uh, sometimes some of the, the fog and the unknowing just comes from us not really having the scaffolding or the, the categories or the language or the ideas to to fix our experiences to or to give some shape uh, to our experiences. And so my hope in trying to give this language here is that it might help in doing that. Of course, it's not the answer to that question, but it is, I think, an attempt at trying to give some language. And, and in that place then of being able to give language to that, being able to have some self-understanding and to allow ourselves to accept that place that we find ourselves in, whether or not we're in the place we want to end up, to be able to accept where we're at right now. And especially if you're someone who's found their way to one of what's sometimes considered one of the more marginal groups, especially by those who are much more close to the center of the Christian uh, orthodoxy. Um, Maybe you feel judged or a bit looked down upon by those who are closer to the center. Uh, And 
you know, sometimes you'll find that people are concerned that you're not reconstructing quickly enough or that you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater or that you should have hung on to Jesus or whatever it might have been that you should have done. Uh, so I just want to say it's okay to be where you are, that there's there's no right place to arrive in the sense that you're supposed to end up in a specific place with a specific set of beliefs that mean you've kind of clocked this and that God and others will now be happy with you and you'll live um, the best your best life. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, if you've ended up agnostic or even if just parts of you are agnostic, then then that's okay. You're okay. And some of you will know that for sure and some of you might still be wondering whether that's all right. Uh, because often we're not entirely agnostic. You know, I feel like parts of me are even though I'm someone who, you know, talks and writes about God for a living. There are days when I, I feel like I have less faith than other days. There are days when I feel like I'm more in the cloud of unknowing than I am on other days. There are days when I just really, I'm, I'm not sure at all. And and most days there are at least parts of me that feel like that. And so, um, you know, that's just, I think, a part of the experience of, I mean, that's why we call it, faith if we still do hold on to something because actually it's not about certainty at all. And and sometimes we just are unable to um, live with that or that's an unhelpful place for us to be and so we just have to let the whole thing go entirely. So wherever you're at, it's okay. You're okay. And, and the other thing I want to say about all of this is that as we think about these four groups or some combination of them or overlap or intersection of them, Allow these to give you space to understand and empathize with the journeys of others. Not everyone has landed where you land or even landed at all, and that's okay. Don't try and rush to get people to where you are, to where you find yourself. Especially, perhaps this is true, for those who have landed in that liturgical camp and, and are much closer to Orthodox Christianity. You know, don't panic if people aren't going in that direction. Don't stress if you think people are losing their faith and you have to somehow convince them or save them. Like, it's okay. Be a friend. <laughs> and if you're connected with them, be a friend and share your lives. And if they want to reclaim some of that at some point because they see what you have as meaningful or for other reasons, then they will. But they also don't have to. And it might be that for some, it's actually just too painful to even go near it. The language of faith has become too uh, distorted and corrupted by all of the layers of experience and abuse um, and trauma and burnout. And it's just too hard to even go near that stuff and so even though you might find it to be the richest and most meaningful way of seeing life, it doesn't necessarily mean other people are going to find it to be that for them. And so if you've experienced, if you're the kind of person who's actually experienced the trauma and the pain at those, at the hands of those within Christianity, right, you don't have to subject yourself to more of that. It's okay to find, you know, to find new space and new ground to explore. But it's also okay if you, if you do want to, to find new ways of believing because it might be that for you, your connection to God, to Jesus, to Christian spirituality is still really, really important to you. And so those people who have kind of presented and given you the experience of, a, of an abusive Christianity, they don't have to take faith away from you unless that's what you need to do. So if you need to let it go, let it go. But if you want to explore a reimagining of it for yourself, then you are, then then do so. And so I hope all of this helps, especially as we see people, I think, looking for communities and looking for some kind of framework or scaffolding on the other side of evangelicalism and the other associated conservative forms of Christianity. You know, I remember when a crew of my friends, we all, we all started off in quite a similar place of being like, oh my God, can you can you believe what we've found ourselves caught up in here? Can you, 
can you, you know, can you believe that we believe those things and there's a new way of thinking about stuff? And we were all kind of excited about that, but also deeply frustrated and sharing kind of anger and concern and and stories and 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 so on. And, and we felt like we were all in this really, really similar place. But it's also true that over the years then, as we've moved forward, you know, we have gone in slightly different directions from one another. And there's, there's a really natural aspect to that. It's not perhaps what I would have imagined when I was first in that place. It's like, oh, here we are now, now, and we're going to do this new thing. But actually what we found over time was that what we all wanted and where our journeys led us and where our experiences led us and our theological explorations led us, we're in slightly different directions from one another. And that's kind of hard and complicated in some ways, but it's also totally normal. And so um, that's just, I think, a part of this journey and a part of this process that it's helpful to understand. Okay, so in the upcoming episodes then of In The Shift, I'm going to be looking at what I think are some of the real problems that continue to persist within the Christian tradition, looking at some of the themes that have emerged uh, and are emerging in the course of these kind of conversations that are happening in more progressive Christian spaces. What are some of the real problems that I think continue to persist within Christianity? And also, what are some of the things that I think remain real potentials within the Christian faith? Uh, And not as some kind of answer to this and not some kind of new Christianity that I've come up with, but really as a series of reflections from where I find myself and as I reflect back on the journey of the last few years. So that'll be coming up in the next episodes of In The Shift. Thanks as always to Rhys Michel for his help in making this sound good in your ears. Until next time.